This week we are, or were, I should say, in Acts 21, uh, the first 16 verses, Acts 21, 1 through 16. Paul is, he's finishing up his third missionary journey, journey. he's heading home, and he gets, he's closing in on Jerusalem, he's close now, he's just north of it, and as he goes from place to place, and as our house church leader noted last, yesterday, um, as he goes from place to place, sort of day by day, stopping at different places along the way, he might stay for a few days here, a few days there. He gets the same word from the church, from various people with the gift of prophecy. Which let me make let me make a, a very related aside in just a second about that, about prophecy in particular. But that's really, I think, what this um, en masse, what this passage is about, is is prophecy. How to give a prophecy, how to interpret prophecy, and then relatedly suffering for for Jesus when to avoid it, when to face it. So um, Paul keeps getting this prophecy from various people with the gift of prophecy, which, okay, well, let me return to it, which is, I think, broadcast in the church, and I'll make a case, a short case for that in a second. Um, And the prophecy consistently is, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound in chains, and you could possibly die. Now, it's a bit confusing for... I mean, there's a lot of ink spilled by different commentators on this because Paul continues to get this word and they say, look, therefore don't go. Paul shoves it aside and says, stop crying. Stop telling me not to go. You're breaking my heart. I'm going. So commentators ask all sorts of questions. Um, Was this from the Lord because... They told Paul this word, and he cast it aside. If it was from the Lord, Paul did something wrong, and on and on it goes. I think quite simply what you have here is you certainly have a word from the Lord because it comes true. Paul does go to Jerusalem, and he is bound. Just like the prophecy said, it comes true. It's a word, it's a word from God. The problem is with the interpretation of the word which wasn't necessarily from the Lord. And that's, I think, where we get into trouble, and that's one of the main burdens of this this text that it teaches us, I think, the difference between giving a prophetic word and then continuing to go on to give the interpretation. Actually, Paul writes about this to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 14, where he says, look, give a prophetic word if you feel like you have one from God. Give it in the context of, of the congregation. Give it in the context of worship. Offer it up, but let others interpret. Let others weigh what's being said. The problem here, I think, as I see it, is that a word from the Lord is given, but they continue, they go on and sort of use their own judgment and say, look, you're going to be bound if you go to Jerusalem, therefore don't go. And that's all wrapped up as being from the Lord. But the therefore don't go to Jerusalem because you're going to be imprisoned and possibly killed isn't from the Lord. And Paul distinguishes between those two things. Okay? He receives the word is from God. Yeah, okay. If I go, I may be bound. I will be bound. Fine. But I don't believe it's the Lord, therefore, interpreting that word and saying, don't go, Paul. I'm telling you not to go. God never says that through his prophets. They simp- the prophets and the, those gifted with prophecy, and the two can be distinguished. You can give a prophetic word and not be a prophet in role. They say, this is what's going to happen, therefore, don't go, because they don't want Paul to get hurt. But he is glad to... He knows that his mission is to go to Jerusalem, 
And he is glad, as his Savior did, and as the prophets before him did, to go to Jerusalem and to suffer, um, come what may, just as Jesus did. That was, that was I was going to say, a huge part of Jesus' mission. That was Jesus' mission, which he told his disciples over and over again, which they kept, tried to keep him from accomplishing as well, which is, you know, Luke 9, elsewhere, where Jesus tells the disciples, the Son of Man has to go. I have come for one reason, to go to Jerusalem to die as a sin substitute, as a, as a sacrificial substitute in place of all who will be reconciled to the Father. I'm going to take their sin upon myself. I'm going to be crucified, crucified outside the walls of Jerusalem by the religious elite in, in cahoots with Rome, with the empire. All men, as it were, will have a hand in it. And I will be totally abandoned, and I'm going to accomplish this alone for all who look to me as I'm lifted high outside the walls of Jerusalem on that cross. And I will be the mechanism for salvation, for the salvation of the world, of all nations who come to me. Now, now he says, look, so I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die in Jerusalem. That's my mission. Paul, and what happens, Paul, Peter steps in between him and Jerusalem, as it were, and says, you're not going. May it never be. And Jesus says, get out of my way. It's my mission. Paul's innocent saying that. Look, I believe that this word's from God. I'm getting it from multiple sources in the church now telling me, if you go to Jerusalem, this is going to happen to you. But don't wrap up the interpretation, the application of that word with the word. Stop with the word that you feel is from the Lord. They would have been better to say, look, Paul, we feel like God is telling us this. If you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound in chains. And who knows? You could die after that. The problem is when they, okay, fair, true enough. Now let Paul make that decision. The problem is that they say, don't go. And that also seems like it's the Lord. It's not the Lord. It's not the Lord. It's Paul's will. It's God's will for him to go to Jerusalem. And the rest of the book of Acts is Paul essentially being bound, being in chains, being carted around, finally back to Rome, where he continues to preach the gospel and to teach and then, as church tradition has it, um, is is probably is probably executed. So, so there are a couple just main points, and I think obviously there's more, but that's the mother load here. And that is one, as I as I sort of belabored, when we give a prophetic word, and I guess I'll give an aside in a second, like I mentioned. But when we give a prophetic word, let's be careful not to also give the interpretation. Let's offer it up in the congregation. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, let others interpret that word. Offer it up humbly. In, two, in sort of two ways, I think. One, not here's a word from the Lord, but this may be from the Lord. Let me offer it up. Not here, I have a word from God. I may have a word from the Lord. Let me offer it up. And secondly, here's what it means. No. Here's the word. I'm going to stop the second I feel like the word is over, and then I'm going to let the church, in line with the written, the inscripturated word of God, interpret that word. Okay, that's, that's how we do it. Now, the aside, briefly. You know, prophecy was, let me say rife. P- prophecy was prevalent here in Acts in the early church because, not because there was an exception, not because it authenticated the apostolic ministry, not because... The scriptures had been, the canon had been closed yet. The scriptures hadn't been written. No, but because of Acts chapter 2, because the church had started under the new covenant, sealed in Christ's blood, ratified by his resurrection, 
from verified by his resurrection from the dead. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's continuing to act through his body, the church on earth, as he did when he was here bodily, but in a much greater way because he now has little Christs running everywhere. Members of his body who are filled with his spirit, who are going out and doing what he did in greater. And as he prophesied, so they are prophesying. As he proclaimed the kingdom, so they are proclaiming the kingdom. On this side of the crucifixion and resurrection, as Jesus now reigns from heaven, the kingdom is, is coming and is indeed here. That's the message. The risen, Christ is risen from the dead. He has paid for our sins. He's brought us back to God. He's reigning. His kingdom is here. His kingdom is coming. His kingdom is spreading. Believe on him. He's the king. There's no safe place outside of him. Bow the knee. Come to him. He's reconciled us to the Father as sons and daughters. Um, and on it goes. A mark of that was in Acts 2, where Peter quotes, he gives the first sermon of the church, where he gets up and he quotes from Joel 2, which I just read in my quiet time this morning, where he says, look, that thing that Joel prophesied hundreds of years ago, that minor prophet Joel, where he's talking about the day of the Lord, and he says, look, this is going to be a mark of that day that it's come. Uh, but instead of, the ju- instead of the judgment that we're all expecting, it's the judgment was taken upon, was taken into Uh, the Messiah, by the Messiah. He bore our sins himself and stood in our place. And therefore we get the blessing, the outpouring of God's spirit. And he quotes from Joel too. And he says, here's what it's going to look like. It's going to look like um, judgment coming. Yes. But because of what Christ has done, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who hides in Christ by faith will be saved from that judgment. And on the contrary, we're going to get blessing. And the blessing of the Holy Spirit being poured out is what's going to mark the church. It's what's going to mark the age of the Spirit. It's what's going to mark the, God's kingdom coming through Christ by the power of his Spirit. And whereas he gave his Spirit to this prophet and to that prophet and to this spokesman and to that spokesman uh, previously, now he's going, to pour, he's going to open up the tap and he's just going to pour out his Spirit on all sorts of people, young, old, girl, guy, you name it, educated, uneducated, servant, nobleman. He's going to pour out a spirit on those who are in Christ and they're going to prophesy and they're going to have visions and dreams and the revelation is going to be outpouring. It's not going to compete with the written word of God. It's going to confirm and be in line with the written word of God. And just like God's going to give us a new covenant that's confirmed and written down, so he's going to give us his spirit poured out. They will always be in line with his written word and that will every indication that we're given in the scriptures in the new covenant is that that will continue until uh, Christ returns and finishes this age and is with us bodily once again and reigns in person. Okay. So, so all that to say, that's a, that's a bit of an aside, but all that to say, that's why prophecy is prominent here in this text. It's why prophecy is a prominent gift in the church. It's why prophecy is something that Paul writes about in first Corinthians prominently he says he doesn't just say hey it's here he says he doesn't say shut it down because the corinthians are abusing it he, he he could have said shut it down if he'd ever said shut it down it would have been to the corinthians because they were abusing it he doesn't say that he says do it right offer it up don't interpret it yourself make sure it's in line with the word do it in good order do it to edify the church when you do it people will come to christ they'll see that god is real as their thoughts are revealed but, um, but he, he says, he doesn't just say it's here. He says, pursue it earnestly. First Corinthians 12, 31, first Corinthians 14, one, um, it, 
you know, right as he's about to dive into the chapter on love, the last thing he says, and then the first thing he says once he comes out of that chapter on love is seek earnestly the gifts. And then in, I think it's 14, when he calls, he says the higher gifts, especially pursue those, especially that you may prophesy. So opposite from saying that prophecy is no longer around and opposite even from saying I'm open to prophecy, but I'm cautious because the, because the abuses. So I, I be, I'm, you know, I believe in it. I have mental assent to it, but I'm not going to pursue it in, in my life or in the life of the church that I'm a part of. Hooey. Sam Storm says that's disobedience. And I agree with him. It's disobedience for a church, not only to say, to be cessationist and to say these gifts have ceased for the church and not only to say we're open to them, but we believe they exist, but we're not going to pursue them. No. Just as you pursue a life of holiness, pursue all the gifts that Christ died to give us, that he's poured out through his spirit to give his church so that it might be edified, so that the members might be fully functioning, so that people might come to Christ, so that his kingdom might go forward. Pursue these gifts, ask for them, walk in them, practice them, and do it right. So that's, that's the main thing. And then the second thing, and this will be a shorter message, I think, today than normal, but... The second thing that's a correlate of that that you really see prominent in this text is, look, because, so the first thing being what, which I, which I think is the burden of this, of this uh, passage, is don't interpret a prophetic word, just give it. That's, that's part of the problem here with these prophets. But the second thing is, Paul, because he doesn't buy the interpretation, he says, yeah, that, I believe that's a word from God, but I'm going to Jerusalem. He, what, what's, he, he embraces he embraces suffering as he's done his whole ministry. Not as, a, not as a masochist, he doesn't enjoy suffering, but he sees it as part of the call and he's not going to shirk it. Just like, because he's carrying his cross and he's following his savior, just like Jesus said to do. Look, you think the master's going to suffer and the servants aren't going to suffer? The road that I've called, the only road Christ calls us to is the road where we have a cross on our backs and we're heading up the, we're heading up the hill to Calvary. It's a death to self. It's a road of suffering the world will reject us, but people will come to Christ, those that he calls to himself as we scatter the gospel seed, as we, as we proclaim the good news in word and deed. And so that's, that's the road that is, that is hewn for us. Um, if, we don't, if we don't want suffering, we should not follow Christ. But we're going to get it anyway because this world is full of suffering. But, it, but, our, but our, in that case, our suffering won't be redeemed and we'll end up dying apart from him and being in hell forever under the just wrath of God. So don't, don't do that. Don't go that direction. Follow Christ. Submit to Christ. Believe on him. Be reconciled to the Father. And embrace suffering as not as good. It's an evil. He's going to finish it. He's going to do away with it one day. But as part of this already not yet age where his kingdom is broken in, but we're, the, the old order still is until he finishes things and returns bodily and, um, and fully brings his kingdom to bear and fully puts Satan under his feet and throws him into the... Um, the lake of fire along with all of his followers. So, and then all of his demons. Uh, um, so, and the feast, the wedding feast will begin at that point. So the corollary is, or the second point I should say is the corollary. Yeah. Is that, um, Paul didn't shirk suffering and neither should we. And I think that's just a huge, that's just a huge, um, summons to the church. It's a huge wake-up call to the church. As we've seen this side of COVID, as we've seen the church, I think in a lot of ways, really, really cower in the face of uh, sort of a fearful pandemic 
and of, of, of possible suffering and of real suffering through COVID, um, the church hasn't really risen in a lot of ways, quite the contrary. And, and sometimes it has, there are exceptions, but I, I really speak of the church in the West. Um, and, and I think a large part of that is because we, we don't have a robust faith anymore. And part of that is that we don't have a robust faith that sees Christ as, as, as hope in the face of death, a confident hope in the face of death, um, that he will take us through death and, and over that, that ravine into uh, life everlasting with him, into resurrection life with a new, with a new creation. That's where we're headed, um, into far green fields in a, in a far green country. But not only have we kind of lost an unshakable hope and firm faith in that, we, um, we're a comfort-based society, and we have no longer embraced this, this idea that I just laid out, which is part and parcel of, of the call of, Christ, of God in Christ, which is take up your cross and follow me. Um, the call of Christ is going to involve suffering. And through that, death to our flesh will come and life, resurrection life will come, not only in us as we're sanctified and made more like Jesus, but through us um, to others, people will come to faith. And that's just the way it works. And so we need to be ready to suffer for Jesus. We need to count the cost as a church. And I speak to myself. I've got one finger pointed at you and I've got four fingers pointed back at myself. I was just on my knees praying about, praying about this and other things. I'm very convicted by the fact that I'm, I'm largely a comfort Christian. And I, and I want God to crucify that and to change me and to change the church that I'm, that I'm pastoring. Um, I'm... I'm a bit trepidatious, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm really filled with great hope and joy because I know that, that that is the way to life. It's the only way to life. Um, the cross comes before the crown and tomorrow is a Monday morning, but, uh, but resurrection means death first. You can't be resurrected without death. And so um, let, us, let us join hands with Christ and join hands together as a church and not, enjoy, not uh, seek suffering. That's masochism. Suffering's an evil. It will be done away with, but, but gladly follow Christ and not shirk that. Um, and, and, and two, as I wrap up, just to, just to remember this wonderful uh, lesson, this pointed lesson about the fact that not only should prophecy be something we expect and pursue in the church, but let's do it right. With this as our guide, with 1 Corinthians 14 and 12 and Ephesians 4 and Romans 12 and other places as our guide as well. Let's do it in order. Let's do it as a community. Let's do it with the scriptures as our guide so that the church can be edified, so that Christ can be lifted high, so that people can hit their knees and say, God is, is alive. He knows my heart. He's speaking. Um, and they can be saved and follow him. God bless you.